I'm excited to be here. And uh, we are in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12 today. And uh, I suggest, uh, if you can, uh, bring a Bible with you. If not, if you don't have one, we'll supply you with one. We'll give you one. But uh, bring one so you can kind of feel the, the pages and get used to the Bible. But if not, you've got the verses behind me in, uh, in the book. And if you want to catch up, maybe you're new or newer and you want to say, hey, what's been going on before this? They are online and uh, you're welcome to go look at those. So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. And the writer to the Hebrews says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Thank you, Father, that before all time, you picked this Sunday for this church to go through this passage. And I don't always know the reasons, well, rarely do I fully know the reasons why that's the case, but uh, you do. And uh, you know how to speak to every person you want to speak to this morning and in whatever um, way. And so, Father, our fondest desire, or at least mine is, and I know many people here, if not everyone, is that the wind of the person of the Holy Spirit would blow into our hearts and change us from the people that we came in into more of the kind of people that honor and glorify you. Lord, do this for your glory and for our blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Many of you have probably heard of Charles Colson or Chuck Colson, at least uh, well-known from the Watergate era, and he wrote a book called Who Speaks for God? Who Speaks for God? And I'm going to read a little story out of that book. He says, Those who grew up in or know much about the 50s might be familiar with the name Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen, because he was the most flamboyant criminal of the day. Gangster. Maybe even some of you, them, you even remember Cohen becoming a Christian. Okay? At the height of his career, Cohen was persuaded to attend an evangelistic service at which he showed an interest in Christianity. Hearing of this and realizing what a great influence a converted Mickey Cohen could have for Christ, many prominent leaders began visiting him in an effort to convince him to accept Christ. Late one night, after repeatedly being encouraged to open the door of his life on the basis of Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Cohen did so. Hopes ran high among his believing acquaintances. But with the passing of time, no one could detect any change in Mickey Cohen's life. Finally, they confronted him with the fact that being a Christian meant he would have to give up his friends and his profession of being a gangster. The logic of his response was this. There are Christian football players. There are Christian cowboys. There are Christian politicians. Why not a Christian gangster? <laughs> and in time, it proved that Mickey certainly was not one of the Lord's converts. Why? Well, it's something Jesus said, and he said it more than once. Jesus said that Christian conversion 
is validated by the way a person lives. And we're not saved by how we live, but how we live is a sign of whether or not we're saved, okay? Jesus said that there will be visible evidence of whether or not we are true believers in Christ. Now, he said there are different growth rates, different crop rates, different fruit rates. He said some will have 30, some will have 60, some will have 100. We all develop at different rates. This isn't a contest. But there's going to be fruit and proof of our profession in Christ. Okay, that's just a given. Jesus said in Matthew 7, by their fruits, you'll what? You'll know them. There'll be visible evidence as to whether or not they are believers. And again, we're not here to inspect everybody else's fruit, but there will be, there will be fruit. But once saved, what are the evidences of salvation? It does beg the question, what kind of fruit? And this is where it's really important because we need to know this. We need to know it because for our own happiness, for our own security, for our own sense of well-being, we need to know that fruit is actually coming out of our lives through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so he's talking about that here in chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation, fruit. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to know the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, after addressing their lack of spiritual maturity, and he does that in chapter 5, verses 11 through 6, verse 3, and then after examining the possibility that there may be some false believers in that church in Italy who profess to know Christ but have absolutely no crop of fruit in their lives, he shifts the tone. And he goes to these verses that I just read, verses 9 through 12 in chapter 6. And he does it because he wants to encourage them. And he wants to give them confidence that the majority of that church were, were indeed bearing fruit unto spiritual maturity. Okay? And he says, I got good news for you guys. You have authentic fruit in your lives. Okay? And he probably did that because, along with probably most churches, there are some sensitive souls that might be discouraged by being rebuked by the writer to the Hebrews. And so he goes from warning to encouraging, from false confidence to full assurance. Let me give you an illustration or a scenario that I think, at least for me, this works. It's about a football game. So the football team does poorly in the first half of the game, and they're getting beat up really bad. They come into the locker room, and the coach chews them out, and he says, you guys are playing as if this is the first time you've ever played the game of football. Jones, you missed a key block that allowed them to sack our quarterback. Smith, you didn't see the receiver that was wide open in the end zone, and we could have had an easy touchdown there. And Johnson, you weren't paying attention to the signals and jumped offside, costing us a penalty that we couldn't afford. But then after a few minutes, the coach changes his tone. And he says to his team, 
I know you guys can do better. I, I, I know you can. I've seen you do better. I've seen you play well. And I know that you've got it in you to go out there in the second half and control the ball. You can win this game. Let's go do it. Now, that, our text here reminds me of that kind of pep talk. He's beating them up enough, enough tough talk. Now let's encourage them so we can properly motivate them to, to really do what they're capable of doing. Well, the title of the message this morning is The Signs of Salvation. The Signs of Salvation. And there are three signs of salvation that the writer to the Hebrews gives this little church in Italy to tell them, you're doing good. For the most part, there's some fruit coming in through your lives, and uh, I want to encourage you about it. So this is your feel-good sermon after about three or four weeks of getting uh, some tough talk by the writer of the Hebrews. It's been, it's been pretty tough. Okay, it's out of love, but it's, it's been pretty tough. The writer has been pretty stern. Okay, so this is our, our feel-good passage. Now, before I get to these three signs of salvation, I want to give you a couple of preliminary thoughts that I think are important. They're, they're applications right on the front end of the message. It's just how it flowed out for me. So, number one, I just think it's important for us to note how he dealt with these people. How do you deal with people in a church? You know? How do you confront people in a church? How do you criticize each other in a church? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says you can't do that or shouldn't do that? No. But it has to be a certain way. Okay, and so I want to just quickly look at this because it's really important here to see how this writer biblically confronts them. Biblically confronts them. Most Christians, pastors included, are pretty bad at biblical confrontation or criticism. We either blow up or shut down, right? We, just, we don't do it very well, and we cause hard feelings that are really unnecessary. Okay. First, he gave them the hard truth. I've already talked about that. He called them spiritual milk drinkers, not spiritual meat eaters in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. He says, you should be eating meat of the word, and all you're doing is drinking milk of the word of God. Then he says, you haven't got past your spiritual ABCs in chapter 6, verse, verses 1 through 3, and so he scolds them again to some degree. And then he says, far perish the thought, but some of you are in danger of falling away or proving you were never believers in the first place because you have no evidence of any spiritual fruit in your life. And you're proving yourself over time to be a false convert, so wake up and get right with God. But then the tone changes here in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, even though we speak like this, dear friends, he speaks tough, now he showers them with some tender optimism. Very Paulish. Some people say they think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. This might be an argument in favor of that, okay? I don't know. I haven't made a decision yet, and I probably won't until I get to heaven, and by then I won't care, okay? Um, but he says, uh, you know, we've spoken like this. It's time for us to go on to another type or part of the confrontation process, okay? Now, this is not just for Christians in the church. This is for you in your family, you at your workplace, if you're a coach and you're coaching kids, like we saw with the football analogy. But it's okay to tell the truth 
But you have to speak the truth in what? Love. You have to have both of those. Too much truth, people get discouraged. Too much love, it's too gushy and people don't get the point. Okay, so you have to have both. So it's dear friends, he says in verse 9. Dear friends, not dear fools, not dear dipsticks, not dear idiots, not dear, you know, whatever, but dear friends. That, that word there, dear, is agape in the Greek. It, you've heard that before. It's used 60 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times is the kind of love that God the Father has for God the Son. He's encouraging them. He's loving on them. They're beloved. The German poet Wolfgang, and I had, and Debbie looked this up for me. It looks like Goethe, but it's Goethe, if you know German. He said, correction does much, encouragement does more. Pretty close to a Bible verse. It says, dear friends, we are confident, we're convinced of better things in your case. He says in verse 9, you're not the immature ones. You're not those falling away out of unbelief due to trials and temptations. Not you. I see fruit in you. He's catching them at being good. He knows that fruit gives certainty of genuine salvation, not condemnation. And then he says in verse 9, oh, we're, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Did you notice the word things is meant, mentioned twice? You say, wow, that's pretty profound. What are you talking about? I'm talking about specificity. When we confront people, we need to be specific. Not just with the negative, but with the positive. I've had probably one, two, or 10,000 people come up to me after a sermon. That was a very nice sermon, Pastor Mitch. And it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of like a social grace, and hey, I'll take what I can get, you know. But I love it when someone comes up and says, Pastor Mitch, that was a good sermon. And when you covered this and that in verse 7, it really spoke to me. Now that's, that's how you tell a pastor he has had a good sermon. I want you to practice that after the service today, okay? But he says things, things, things. Point them out. Good things. Okay? I call it the Oreo cookie method. And I told Debbie, I want to stop at the Cedar Home store and get a pack of Oreos on the way to service and use it for a visual. And she said, they'll never listen to the other word you say. They'll be thinking about the Oreo cookies the rest of the service. So I won't do that. But good biblical confrontation is like an Oreo cookie. You got the dark part, right? And then you got the white, squishy, sweet part. And then you got the dark part again. But you mush it all together and it tastes really good. That's how you do it. Too much dark? No. Too much mushy? No. So just notice how the Bible tells us to talk to people that we love. Amen? Come on now. That's how we handle one another in the church. And then second thing here that I think is really, really neat, and I just think I'll just do this, I'll just read this because it works better. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident or convinced of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation, things, 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 specific things. Verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. He will not forget your work. Now, God does forget some things, so to speak. He forgets our sins, amen to that. And we 
kind of delved into that last week uh, in, during communion. But God forgives and forgets our sins. But don't forget, he will never forget your works, ever. Never. And it tells us why in verse 10. Because they've been shown to him. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He'll never forget a good thing that you do in his name. To anybody, anywhere, any way, anyhow, for any reason. I find that comforting. Any, as a Christian, any good thing you do in the grace and power of Christ will be remembered by God. How's that? Okay. I told you it was a feel-good sermon, right? Yeah, I was wondering when you were going to get to one of those, Mitch. Okay. Not one of the things that you do in the name and in the power of Jesus will ever be forgotten by God, no matter how small. Every gentle touch, handshake on a Sunday morning, every kind, encouraging word at a community group or Sunday morning, um, every helpful act, every diaper you change in the nursery, okay, every dish you wash after a potluck, every Sunday school class you ever taught her, every task around the church will be remembered by God. Steve Cole says, why does the author begin here by saying, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work? I think that one reason is that these people had suffered early in their Christian lives and now they're, uh, they think that, whoops, suffered early in their Christian lives and now they're facing the prospect of more suffering. And they were. At such times, Satan tries to undermine our love for God by whispering, you know, you trusted in Christ. Look where it got you. Okay? God loves you and has a lousy plan for your life. You know, that's the track you got. You've had nothing but problems. Is that how this loving God takes care of you? He wants you to start thinking that either God is unjust or else he has forgotten you and what you've done for the Lord? And so the author says, God is not unjust. He has not forgotten you or anything you've done no matter how small. In fact, one of the great verses in here, if you want to turn in your Bible or you can just look at the screen, is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't forget that. Okay? Don't forget that. Okay, let's get into the meat of the text here. Signs of salvation. There are three this morning. Now, before we get here and into this, these three, I do not know why God picked these three. I mean, there are whole books written about what the fruit of the Spirit, what crops appear in our lives if we're bona fide believers. And there's a ton in the Bible about it. Why did God pick these three? I'll leave that up for you to figure out. I've got my theories, okay? But three of these, okay? The first fruit or crop or proof or sign in them that he says showed the majority of them to be true believers, some 30, some 60, some 100, is that they were helping people. They were helpers. They were helping. Look at verse 10. God is not unjust who will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. He is saying if you're helping 
other people in the body of Christ is a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is living in you. And notice it doesn't specify what that helping is. So those of us that could only help a little, maybe a kind word on a Sunday morning or something more, it's, it's a sign of the uh, fruit of the Spirit, of being a true believer. The word help there is the total opposite of self-centeredness and selfishness that characterizes the believer. Now, let me give you a dictionary definition, which I want to do. The dictionary is a great Bible tool. Help is the attitude of serving. It, it means here, in this context, serving our fellow Christian. The word help means to relieve or give aid or assistance to, to comfort or ease or support or give guidance to. It's one of the surest signs of salvation. You may ask, well, I don't have that kind of heart or I want more of that kind of heart. You may not hear this too often, but I'll tell you how to get a servant's heart. Okay, the way to get a servant's heart is by truly understanding Christ's love for you. If you want to help in a church, I mean from the top on down, and I don't like to refer it to that way, let's say from A to Z, okay? Um, if you want to help without burning out, because some of you sitting here have experienced burnout in church, the way to do that is to be so filled with an understanding of Christ's love for you that it just outpours to other people. We're not grinding it out, and we're not applying elbow grease, and it's coming out of the overflow, Amen? That's how we help and help and help through a lifetime without burning out. Anyway, that's just a side, uh, a side um, piece of advice there. Well, how does, what form does help come in? The, what kind referred to in verse 10 here? I've got several forms that uh, help comes in, but it all comes under one umbrella, and I want you to look back in verse 10 and see the umbrella. God is not unjust. He will not forget your what, everybody? Your work. So helping is working. It is working. Okay, well, what kind of work? Well, words. Our helping others can come through words. Words may be one of the most powerful ways that we can help people. Deb and I have been doing some, something here in recent years that has absolutely transformed our view on Sunday mornings. Whether it's Friday, Saturday, or just Saturday, or Friday and Saturday, we've begun to pray for divine appointments. And we, I gotta be honest, I never did that. For years and years and years. And we've been praying, I'm gonna give you a fake prayer. We've been praying, or just something like what we do. Thank you. A sample, that's the word I was looking for. Father God, uh, Sunday we're going to church and I pray, Lord, for Deb and I. Would you give, take us to the person that needs something that you've given us a divine appointment to, to move us towards? Help us, us, to go down. Help us just not to be friendly to the people we're always friends with. Help us not to gravitate to the people we like to talk to. Move divinely, move us divinely into somebody's space and help us just to shut up and listen. 
and be a blessing to them when the words are, you know, you, you get where I'm going from here? You plan ahead of time. And I want to tell you guys, as serious as a heart attack, we have had some of the most incredible encounters on Sunday morning. People come, you know, everybody's fighting a battle we don't know nothing about. And we come in, and I've tried to look away from the people I really like. You know, they're probably getting the wrong idea. And, uh, and, and God, where are you taking me? And he'll take me to person A or person B. And they carried something in. And they begin to talk about it, and tears flow, and prayers are made. And not every Sunday, but you know, more often than not, that's how we help, with our words. Okay? Don't just come to get fed, Please. I mean, it's good if you get fed at the church you go to, but come with a mission, with a mission, okay? And then, not just words, but prayers. I mean, it knocks my socks off when somebody says, they're praying for me. And that's not one of those, I'm praying for you, and then we never really do, but you know they're praying for you. And another way that we help is actions, putting our faith into practice for other Christians, large and small. Some of you have gotten your PhD in actions. I'd love to watch you in action doing that. And then another way to, to help is financial gifts. You know, do you know what a $25 gas card can do to someone's life? They don't have two nickels to rub together right now. And you pony up a $25 uh, uh, gas card or uh, a restaurant card, and if you want to practice that, Deb and I, I'll give you our phone number and address, and you can... <laughs> no, seriously. That, and it doesn't have to be a ton of money, but just knowing they can fill their tank up for a day or two. Can't we all afford 25 bucks? Well, I don't know. My budget's pretty tight. Don't worry. God will level the playing field. It'll be Okay. And then serving others with what? Your spiritual gifts. Y'all, if you're a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. Don't hold on to that, okay? Don't hold on to that. Go back to the football analogy. Coach says, all right, you guys are ready to play now. I've encouraged you. Now let's go out on the field and play. And team lines up on the sidelines. And the coach says, by the way, you guys stay here. Me and the coaches are going to go out and play the game for you. And you go, that's that doesn't make sense. But that's the way a lot of churches operate. You're the, you're, the, you're the ones that should do the ministry for the most part. You have a gift. God wants you to use that gift. That's how we help people. Okay? And I want you to notice one other thing before we go on to our second um, of three here. Kind of, I help. I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me to review. What are the signs of salvation? Number one, it's helping other people in the body of Christ. Being proactive, not coming in and sitting and soaking it in and then leaving, but expending that out to the rest of the people in the church because you'll be a blessing to them. And they were doing that. He says, congratulations, spiritual fruit's going on in your life. You say, well, I don't preach. Don't teach. Well, count your blessings, okay? You have something that's better than what I do, or at least it's good, because God gave it to you. Discover it, and then use it if you haven't already. But I want you to notice something here, okay? In, in, in this verse here, in verse uh, 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work 
and the love you have shown who? Him, God, as you have helped his people. Who are you helping when we're helping each other? Who are we really helping? This is not a trick question. Who are we helping? We're helping God. When Paul was on the way to Damascus and got knocked off his donkey by the light of Christ, what did Jesus say? Uh, Acts 9, 4, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the people in the church? Did he say that? No, he said, why do you persecute me? He identifies the church with himself. So when you help me or I help you or we help each other, whether it's in words, prayers, actions, gifts, our spiritual gifts, we're helping Jesus. Doesn't that change the perspective a little bit? And how about that chapter in Matthew chapter 25, or that passage in Matthew 25 at the great white throne judgment where the sheep are separated from the goats? I gotta go there. This is really, really good. Uh, Matthew 25. I believe I put that on the screen, did I not? Okay. Matthew 25. And we can't read the whole passage time-wise, but I'll, I'm reading a, 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 some of it. I'm not going to read the bad part, <laughs> but I'm going to read the good part because I'm not really into the bad and good part in this sermon. Okay, and not that I would never preach that if I wasn't going to the book of Matthew, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, verse 31, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Wow. Come on, do it now, Lord. I'm ready. I don't know about you guys. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, because you prayed a prayer at the end of the service. No, it doesn't say that. Although a person can get saved that way. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. And I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you to drink something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in and needed clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit? you and the king will reply I tell you the truth whenever you did whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me and so that up your game a little bit when I go to a church on Sunday morning when I go to community group when I do something else in the context of this church I'm ministering to Jesus pretty neat if I do say so myself the scriptures are kind of cool I mean, it kind of re- re- rejuvenates you when you think about, gee, I'm serving Jesus. You know, when Nate said sample, that was just one word. Very impolite, I might say, Nate, to do that. <laughs> Not really. I, I was searching for the word. I was searching for the word. I couldn't figure out the word in my brain. And he says sample. And that was the word, basically. He, he just ministered to Jesus. Not, I'm not Jesus, but through Christ he ministered to me. Is that okay to say? Don't say, man, you've got one of them prosperity teachers. He's calling us all Jesus. That's not what I mean. But just little stuff like that. It's for Jesus. 
Okay, so don't think you can't do that. That's a sign of salvation. You're helping each other. Okay? So be active. And then the second sign of salvation here is uh, being diligent. Being diligent. Okay? Look at verse 10 and 11 here, back in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, 10 and 11. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I'm going to read that again. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. Okay, what's diligence? It's the idea of persevering in good. Perseverance. Perseverance in Christ. It's one of the, and, and in this context, it's in the context of helping and ministering to each other, but it's still perseverance. If, if, if it's not one, the, the one, it's one of the top signs of salvation. It permeates the book of Hebrews. Are you diligent? You're going to finish out. Are you going to do that? And really, if you look at verse 10 and you see the word and there, that little word and in verse 10, he says, um, I guess I'll need to start at the first part of the whole verse. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work in the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Continuing. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's proof positive that we're believers. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying if we persevere to the very end, it's proof positive that we are saved. You say, well, do I get saved by persevering? No, but if you are saved, you will persevere. And in this context, helping and, and ministering, okay? The writer is encouraging them, and you should be encouraged too if you're persevering in your walk with God. And it says in verse 11, do it to the very end. What end? The end of your life. And until you pass into Christ's arms. Or he, he comes back first. Because as we said before, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Okay? For the true Christian, there's no time limit. Okay, there's no time limit on perseverance, especially in the context of helping if we're able Okay, continual fruitfulness and faithfulness is the result of salvation, persevering. I got an interesting story I ran across this week, and I just knew I had to build a sermon around it. I mean, I had to use it in my sermon, okay? It comes from the proceedings of the U.S. Naval Institute. The USS Astoria was the first U.S. cruiser to engage the Japanese during the Battle of Savo Island. A night action fought the 8th through the 9th of August, 1942. Although she scored two hits on the Imperial flagship Chokai, the Astoria was badly damaged and sank shortly after noon uh, on the 9th of August. About 0200 hours, a young Midwesterner signalman, third-class Elgin Staples, was swept overboard by the blast when the Astoria's number one 8-inch gun turret exploded. Wounded in both legs by shrapnel and semi-shock, he was kept afloat by a narrow life belt 
that he managed to activate with a simple trigger mechanism. At around 0600 hours, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer and returned to the Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the cruiser by uh, beaching her. The effort failed, and Staples, still wearing the same life belt, found himself back in the water. It was lunchtime. Picked up again, this time by the USS President Jackson, he was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated to Numea. I'm guessing that's how you say it. On board the transport, Staples, for the first time, closely examined the life belt that had served him so well. It had been manufactured by the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and bore a registration number. After that, he was given home leave, and Staples told the story and asked his mother, who worked for Firestone, about the purpose of the number on the belt, and she replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility for the war effort and that the number was unique and assigned to only one inspector. Staples remembered everything about the life belt and quoted the number. It was his mother's personal code. And affixed to every item she was responsible for approving. That mundane, same day in, same day out, faithful, persistent, persevering, act of her work. Would you agree with me that that paid big dividends? And that's what biblical perseverance does. Come heck or high water, no matter what the peaks or valleys are, you are driving a stake in the ground to walk with Jesus until the very end. And that's what they were doing. And he says, congratulations, you have signs of salvation in your life. You're not only helping, you're persevering in your helpfulness. Congratulations, fruits coming out of your life that says you are indeed one of Christ's children by the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful story for me. Because sometimes life isn't a whole lot of fun, is it? It's not a bowl of cherries. It, it can get rough out there, in here. But when we persist, we're like that mother almost 80 years ago with diligence and perseverance in an anonymous wartime job made her soon-to-be shipwrecked son's hope of survival happen. What a great story. Is that, is that your story? Is it mine? Are you going to go to the very end? because it will pay big dividends. Dividends. And we're not glamorized. We're not glamorized. Oh, I need to be up front. No, you don't. I think for, me, for my money, the, the most important gift and the most important uh, sign of salvation in the entire Bible is perseverance in Christ. Because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And again, we don't get saved by persevering. Persevering is the proof that we're saved. Okay? Let's go to the final sign, the third one here. And I hope you're getting encouraged here because I know so many of you have these fruits in your life. It's wonderful. The third and final sign of salvation here is not just helping and diligence, perseverance, but it's imitating. Imitating. Look at verse 12. Uh, we do not 
want you, oh, by the way, the last part of verse 11, in order to make your hope sure. You get a sure hope when you persevere. Anyway, too little, too late. I already passed that point. But verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to what, everybody? Imitate. You're going you're gonna to change your mind about the word imitate. We need, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Imitation. Now, imitation generally has a negative connotation, right? I mean, who likes imitation crab better than real crab, right? <laughs> My kids will go crabbing with their buddies, you know, and they'll, they'll come and throw mom and dad a few crab. And Man, I love that stuff. But in the interim period... What do I, somebody really doesn't like imitation crap. Uh, Deb, hey, grab some of that imitation. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. It's, just, it's enough to get you through till the next crabs come to your doorstep on the generous hands of your sons. But uh, it's, not, it's not bad, but it's not the real thing. So generally, we have a kind of a negative idea of what imitation is. But here, it's a really great idea. And it's a sign of salvation, one that you may not have ever thought of. Okay? Because um, it's not fakey, and it's not being a copycat. What it means here is, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Imitation carries the meaning of with God's enablement now, not our own flesh, but with God's enablement, um, wanting and trying to pattern our lives after others who are godly people. Do you ever find yourself saying that to somebody? Man, they're such a saint. You ever, hear, you ever say that? Maybe it's about your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband, somebody. Or, or somebody that's new in the church and they were just that example. I, there are people here dead and alive I say that about. And other, you know, people like that. Um, but that's, that's what it means. And you say, well, why would that be a fruit of the Spirit? Would you ever hear people in the world say that? You ever hear someone at work who's, a, who's an unashamedly a non-believer go, you know, I wish I was more like Billy Graham. That was supposed to be funny. You know, of course you don't hear that. It's not funny. It's, it's, not, it's not, no, you never hear that. You only hear that from who? Christians. And he's saying if you want to be like people that are farther along like you, it's a sure sign that you're one of them. I mean, Jesus said, imitate me. I'm not going to go, I don't, well, you can flash them up there. I don't have time to read them, but John 13, 50, 15, rather. Paul said it, Philippians 4, 9. And whatever you've seen and heard or watched me do, do likewise. Can you imagine it, saying that to somebody else? That's, you know, you've got to be walking with the Lord in par excellence to say that. But who, who does it say be imitators of? Well, Scripture says Jesus and, and, and Paul. And then here, the context is Abraham, but we're not spilling into the 13th verse till next week. And then up in chapter 11, too. But it, it can mean any faithful or patient, because that's the qualities, faith and patience, it gives us right there in verse 12. Anybody that's a Christian that you admire their faithfulness or their faith and their patience. Okay? And you go, man, I'm gonna, I want to imitate them with the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, that's a fruit of the Spirit. One of the most patient people that I know is the person I live with. You know, God attracts opposites. You know that, right? My wife has, I, I don't think it's right that she has so much patience, but I guess it's good that she does because she's got to live with moi. So it's good that God gave her patience like that. But you know what happens when we stop doing that in verse 12? What happens when you stop imitating God or wanting to be like godly people? Look at, look at verse 12. What happens? We become what? Lazy. Lazy. You say, well, at least I'm not, not a Christian. Yeah, but do you want to be a lazy one? I mean, that's, that's better, but it's not where we ought to be. So pick out. Pick out that person or people. And if you have been, then you can be sure that the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Now, I told you guys, this was a feel-good sermon today. Next week, I'll club you over the head with a... No, I won't do that. Actually, next week's kind of positive, too, about the promises of God, Abraham. But let me just finish with a question or two, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. Are, the, are any of the things that accompany salvation showing up in your lives? Are you helping well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Then you just called God a liar. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We all, all people in the body of Christ have spiritual gifts. And so you're gifted, or you got time, or you got an extra 20 bucks, or you, I mean, ad infinitum. We can do that. And if you're doing it, praise the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit. You're growing, your crop is developing. You're not putting forth weeds, you're putting forth beautiful fruit and crops. That's number one. Are you helping? Am I helping? Are we persevering in diligence? Are we like that mom almost 80 years ago who just kept going and what a blessing it was, keeping going in Christ, not letting people, places, or things, or problems stop us from being fully devoted to Christ as much as we can possibly be. And then imitation. Do I have people that I admire, that I want to be like? Maybe they're gone already to be with the Lord, or, or maybe they're here in this church or somewhere else, but you just say, wow, I so want to be like them. Then I've got a word of congratulations for you. You know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, if none of those are there, I would say it's gut check time. A little, you know, I just gut check. If, if that stuff's not there, just think about whether, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I need uh, the new birth so I can start that process. And that's, that's it's, it's, it's simple. We turn to Christ to come live within us as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we're born again, we now have the ability to have spiritual fruit appear in our lives. But I'm just going to repeat what the writer said as I close right now. I'm going to say, but like the writer of this book says to this church in Italy, and I'm saying to you this morning, I am confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, um, we're all on a struggle, on a mission we're all, some of us are 30, some of us are 60, some of us are 100 in terms of fruit, but thank you, Lord God, for these wonderful saints that, 
have the fruit of the Spirit, the crops of spiritual Christian reality coming out of their lives. And uh, there's no age thing here. There's no background thing here. There's no color thing here. The Holy Spirit will produce these in an authentic believer's life. And for maybe some person that maybe, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on a journey. And I, 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 this is, I, don't, I haven't heard about this receiving Jesus stuff. Help them to know that this is the life that they really do want um, if they want to grow in, in spiritual things. And may they turn to you, Lord, in a very real conversion experience. Thank you, Father, for encouraging us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, apply this right now. Give someone a kind word as they leave today.